Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, one of our interns, Chaz Martin, continues our series on parables. Chaz teaches on the parable of the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, and how we can relate to it. We can become comparison-driven and very judgmental towards the people around us. When we take a step back and realize who our master is, we realize he gives us all that we could ever need. We hope you feel encouraged by this message. Let's just pray again, because that was some good worship. That was some solid worship. Um, So if you want to close your eyes real quick. Father, thank you for another Sunday night, another high school night, um, that we get to come together and we get to glorify you and worship you in a couple different ways, whether it's through a fun relay game or singing or teaching. Um, We just pray for open hearts and open souls, and we love you a lot, Lord. We're grateful for you. Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, so I have met some of y'all, but I haven't met all y'all. So I'm gonna do like the classic little intro thing and I have some pictures for us and stuff. Um, So here's the first one. This is me in middle school. And y'all, as you can see, I hated everything in middle school. I was so mad. I was a kid, I was on my way to a mission trip right there. So I was surrounded by people, surrounded by my friends, but I still had that face. I was still mad. Um, so I was kind of a grumpy little guy in middle school, um, a little bit chubbier too. Um, but then the next picture, me in high school. So y'all, we had a little glow up. We made it a little bit. So we get a little power squad in there. So that was a, uh, guys volleyball tournament in high school. Um, and <laughs> I don't know why we were dressed like that, but I did have some abs for the first time in my life that day. Um, so I felt good about that. A little confidence boost. Felt good. And then this is some of my best friends from college. So I just graduated from Clemson in May. And this is my wildlife team. So this is how I met Rachel and actually Skye in the back too, who I didn't know was coming, but here she is. Um, But these are some of my best friends that I led ministry with for three years through Young Life. Um, The next one, and these are my boys. These are some dudes. We all took a spring break trip. We went out west for a couple days. And again, we had a really good idea of, we thought it'd be really funny if we all shaved our heads and went out west. And so we were just a group of skinhead looking boys basically going out west. And we went like that and it was awesome. It was so good. Um, So those were some of my best friends through Clemson. Um, That's a little bit of me, a little backstory. And then I'm here now this summer, and then I'll be going to Beaufort with Julie, actually, um, in August for full-time Young Life staff. Um, so that's a little bit about me, a little intro. Um, but as Matt said, I get to continue the parable series. After what Hannah talked about with Prodigal Son a couple weeks back, um, I'm going to bring it back again. And in order to do that, I want to share a little story. The classic little intro story, kind of break the ice, calm my nerves a little bit. Because um, I don't know if you can tell, but my hands are kind of sweaty. I'm pretty nervous to be up here right now. Um, so I'm going to try and break the ice for me a little bit too. But as I said, I work, or I will work for Young Life. Has anybody heard of Young Life before? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, wow. Okay, nice. Sick. Um, yeah, nice. Um, so I'll be working for them. And I led with them all through college, right? So for three and a half years, I did that. But I also was a part of it in high school. So I didn't have a youth group like this. Young Life was sort of my youth group because we're not a church, but the mission of Young Life is to reach the furthest out kid. And I was one of the furthest out kids in high school. 
Um, and so that was where I first heard about Jesus was through Young Life. And y'all, when I say, this is funny, when I say the goal is to reach the furthest out kid, I'm talking the furthest out kid. So I was the guy in high school. I was one of the kings of high school, sort of say, as far as like, I was in the popular group. I was at all the parties. I was doing all that stuff. I was trying to get attention through all those ways, hanging out with everybody, doing whatever I could to get my name out there so that people at my school, I went to Daniel High School in Clemson, so that people would know me. Go Lions, whoever said that. Um, Y'all, that's who I was. And so to be that guy who every weekend was just going to a party, getting drunk, doing drugs, whatever. Um, And then Monday night, I would come to Young Life Club and my leader, who was one of my best friends, would tell me about Jesus. And it just felt weird. It was really weird because like, I'm not going to lie, some Mondays I was still hung over a little bit. Um, but that's what Young Life is, and that's the beauty of it, is I would never be at a church on Sunday, but I was still hearing about Jesus on Monday. And so that's where it's really cool. But with that, you have the Christians who go to Young Life. And so you have my friends who were all Christians, but we were still all at parties together the weekend before. So it's kind of that tension there where my best friends were trying to tell me about Jesus while I was shotgunning beers with them. So it's kind of crazy. It's kind of weird. There's a tension there. There's a little hypocrisy going on. And that's where it gets a little dicey of that's what Young Life is. That's the mission. But from the outside, I was not a Christian, right? I was actually an atheist through all of high school. And it's because of Young Life that I was an atheist. What? That's kind of crazy. What? That's weird. Um, But it was through seeing all my friends who were Christians, but then doing all the same things I was doing. I was like, that's not real. This can't be true. Like, what's Jesus doing if everybody who loves him and following him is out here with me on Saturday night? That doesn't make sense. And so because of that, I decided... I was an atheist. I decided there was no God. And that carried through all four years of high school. But I still went to small group and I still went to club all four years of high school and stuff too because it was a lot of fun. Um, and so what I'm getting at with this is, y'all might have heard this word before. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Comparison. Have y'all ever heard somebody talk about comparison before? That's what I'm getting at is, but in a slightly different way, of I compared what I thought a Christian was supposed to be to my friends who were Christians but were not living a Christian life. So that's also comparison, is that form of judgment. Where I saw my friends who were claiming Jesus and who were telling me about Jesus, but then we were all doing the same stuff. So it didn't really make sense to me. So I was really confused. And that's the beauty of young life. And this isn't like a marketing campaign. I'm not trying to like advertise Young Life or anything. Um, But it sums it up really well. It sums up kind of the comparison through the gospel. But also, if you noticed how toxic my comparison was, of it was because of that that I became an atheist. And so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at tonight is how the comparison led to hypocrisy, led to my distaste and my hate for religion and Christianity, basically. 
because I saw it as bad. I was against it. I was openly an atheist. It wasn't like the, oh, I don't really know what I believe. It was like, no, I don't believe in God. I reject him. Um, And so it's because of that. And that's the comparison that we're getting at. And so there's a reason for sharing this too. It relates, I promise. Not just the marketing campaign. Don't worry. Um, My comparison game was really strong. I had a lot of ins. I had a lot of friends in Young Life. So it's like all over. But what I was doing was just judging them. And it was really confusing for me because it led me to that dark place. But I'm also saying this because I know that that was just, Young Life was that version of it for me. Whereas y'all wrestle with comparison too. Whether it's through judging others or whether it's through comparing yourself to others. So whether you're judging somebody from the outside, a lot of y'all grew up maybe in fellowship, a lot of y'all grew up in church, or at least have been coming for a while. And it's easy to see yourself as sort of like an inner circle sort of thing. Like, oh, I go to church on Sundays. I go twice on Sundays, maybe. So I'm better. I deserve more. Y'all see what I'm getting at? And so that's where it gets messy. Um, because I'm guessing that y'all have thoughts of that. Y'all wrestle with that. And it could also just, it could not be through that. It could be through comparison of maybe your best friend is more attractive than you. Maybe your best friend is funnier than you. Maybe your best friend also has a crush on the same guy or girl, and y'all are kind of like passive-aggressively fighting over them. I don't know. (laughs) But that sort of stuff where that stuff is real, and I know y'all wrestle with it because I went through high school, and y'all, the confidence to come up here, I'm still nervous to come up here, don't get me wrong. Still nervous. But in high school, I would have pooped my pants if I had to come up here and give y'all a talk. That would have been terrible. I had no confidence. And so I know what it's like to be in high school. I know what it's like. And so what we're going to look at tonight is why is there another message on comparison for high school? Why should y'all care about this, assuming y'all wrestle with it, which I know you do in some way. But how far does our comparison go? How are we comparing ourselves to others or what we think others should be? How are we even comparing ourselves to God or how are we comparing God to who we think God should be? So that's where it gets kind of in depth of, it can go so far as I saw my Christian friends as they were supposed to be this level of spiritual and loving and great and kind and serving but they were down here with me in the mud. We can see God that way too, sometimes. That's also comparison. That's also dangerous, and that leads to a distraction. That leads to a toxicity that, in my case, resulted in me being an atheist. In y'all's case, lack of self-confidence, depression, anxiety, whatever, whatever it is, all that stuff is real. And a lot of it's through comparison. And so what we're going to look at tonight is Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, if y'all want to turn to that. And it is called the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And that's a lot of what we're going to be focusing on, is how comparison leads to that stuff and how it distracts from God but also the extent of how we compare, the extent of the dangerousness of it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this parable. So we're going to start in verse 1. I think we have a slide, yeah. 
it starts, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And so obviously right off the bat, parables, metaphorical, allegorical, whatever you want to call them, they're not as literal and they're meant to be a little confusing. They're meant to be, oh, what's that? That's crazy. They're meant to be kind of like a puzzle. You got to think about it a little bit. And so what's going on here is I'm going to be like your tour guide through a parable tonight. That's going to be cool. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. So the master here is pretty directly being compared to God, to Jesus, right? So that's step one. That's how we start. And then he went out early to hire laborers for his vineyard. So immediately, right off the bat, Jesus is doing something. He's up to something. He's acting. He's out there. He's out there early in the morning looking for laborers. And he is the master of the house. And so the vineyard, kingdom of heaven, inviting us in. Um, And what he's doing is he's setting up for the day of work. He's going out. These laborers get hired daily. So it's not like I work a part-time job or whatever at a restaurant. These laborers are like out looking for a daily job. Like if you need some landscaping done, I'm going to be right here. Come find me. That sort of thing. And then you hire for whatever the wage is. There's like a day's wage sort of thing. Um, But that's what's going on here. And so then picks up in two. Um, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And so that's what's going on here. Um, yeah, that's what's going on here. Is, so the master's out there right? He's out in the field. He's out. He's looking for people. He's on their turf, and he needs help in his vineyard. So he goes to people to help them. He's approaching them, and what he does is he agrees, first of all, for a fair wage, right? So agrees means mutual. There's a mutual agreement. So the laborers were on board. They knew a denarius is like a, I don't know what the equivalent today would be, but it's kind of the common exchange for a day's wage, right? And so that was normal. That was standard. And he went out, and he either needed more help in the vineyard, or he was just looking for someone. We're not really sure why, but he does make an interesting claim. Um, He saw others standing in the marketplace. He said to them, go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So what's going on here? is he has kind of the scale, right? He says, whatever is right, I'll give you. That means he knows what's right. He knows what's going on, and he kind of has a gauge for it. So he somehow knows better than us, and that's what's being established. Um, And so then verse 5, so they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So that means that throughout the day, he makes multiple trips in right? So he goes in, hires people, they're working, then he leaves his vineyard, goes back to the market, back to hire more people. So again, we're coming back to the, he's out in the world, he's out on our turf doing his thing. Um, And it's interesting because you got to notice, this is important too, that when he goes out the sixth hour and the ninth hour, the day is getting later. But they're still going to be working for a day's wage, right? 
And so there's people that are working longer than others, but they're all going to be getting paid the same. Whatever is right. It's really unclear what that is, but he has an idea of it. And so then jump into the next section. In about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. He said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Same thing. Same thing. And so, y'all, don't miss this. He is continually coming back, right? But then the 11th hour, the 11th hour, that's a weird number. That's a weird way to say it. But what that is, is essentially 5 p.m., right? Workday out in the vineyard, out in the sun. You can't really work in the dark. So the 11th hour is basically the last hour of the day. And so that's kind of what's happening, is he is hiring more and more people, and they're all coming in. But these people that he hired in the last shift, they're standing. They're idled. They're just kind of hanging around the market to the last hour of the day. And so you're kind of like, oh, why aren't you working throughout the day? That's kind of confusing. Why wouldn't they be working? And they answer with just a simple, because no one has hired us. And so it's a little unclear why, but typically what that would mean is that either nobody wanted them or they were too lazy and they weren't around earlier, so they missed the opportunity. Either way, not ideal. <laughs> not ideal. <laughs> and so when they're just kind of standing around doing nothing, this is the master's fifth trip to the market. And just asking that simple question, it kind of shows a little desperation in them, right? So they're there, they're still in the market, waiting for a job until the last hour of the day. Because a lot of these laborers, like I said before, they don't have the full-time or the part-time job. It's not consistent. And so they're looking for work. And so if they don't get a job for that day, they miss money for that day. And you've got to think about it, too. They probably have, like, family. They probably have, like, kids. They got someone to provide for. They got to make food. They got to make money. And that comes through this. So they are desperate enough to be there the last hour of the day. And the master's like, okay, come on. You go, too. You come on. We're going to make it. And he has the exact same response. Just as simple as that. He doesn't care who they are. He just wants them to go to work. And so... My theory is that the master has a vineyard, and he's hiring all these people. He's obviously pretty wealthy, so money, probably not a huge issue for him, right? If he can make five trips, if he can afford to do that, he can make five trips out of the vineyard and then hire this many people each day, assuming. Then he's probably pretty wealthy. He's probably fairly well off. Um, and he's kind of being a smart manager here of he's going out himself into the field, into the market, and he's recruiting himself. He's not sending somebody out to do it for him. And that's interesting. That's not typical. Think about like a common, I don't know, what's like a normal business now? You would hire like on a website or something, or you would send out recruiters or something like that. The master here, he went out himself. He went into it, into the depths of it, himself. And so... That kind of takes us into the next section. So verses 8, uh, start, yeah. Um, 
And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the, wait, I missed missed a little bit. No, I didn't, that was right. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but they also received a denarius. And so this, y'all, this doesn't make sense. This is, okay, so you know how I said earlier he's being a good manager and he was going out in the field himself. He was kind of doing everything on his own. That's good management. But then this is bad management. <laughs> this doesn't make sense that you would pay somebody the same amount for one hour that you would pay somebody for working all day, right? And that doesn't make sense. And so what's going on here is he's transitioning. He's making a move from kind of the outreach section. He's moving away from that into the rewarding section. So now that the people are done for the day, they're getting the reward, but it's all equal. And picture this. Take this image with me. So you got a lot of people. Some of them have been working all day. Some of them have been working for 45 minutes. <laughs> That's not fair. But you still have a line of people. So you got a line of people right in front of me. The master's up there. He's paying people, starting with the last ones, the ones who are the least tired, the ones who are like not even sweaty, really, because they just got there. And he gives them that. So imagine, imagine you're at cookout, and you're in the back of the line, right? And you're moving up. You're getting closer to ordering and ordering. And the people in front of you, y'all, there's some kind of mistake. So they're getting like free food, free shakes. Their fry orders are huge. They got like full trays full of fries. They got that sort of thing. The closer you get, the more food is coming, right? And so naturally, you're like, oh, I'm about to get a lot of food. This is about to be worth it. I'm about to get more value for my money, for my resource. I'm going to get more value. But they don't. So imagine that disappointment. You're there. You're ready for your free shake. You're ready there for your free fries, and you just don't get it. That's just a bummer. (laughs) That's a huge bummer. And so that's what's kind of going on here is there is an anticipation buildup. The people in the back are expectant. They're starting to feel confident that, oh, they worked 45 minutes, and they're getting a whole denarius. I worked 12 hours. I'm about to get 12 denarius, if that's the plural, if that's how you say that. That's their expectation. They're starting to feel like a hint of entitlement, almost, of I put in my time, I deserve this. I earn this. And so they're starting to take matters in their own hand, which remember, the master said he would pay them what is right at the end of the day, which was really vague. And it was pretty strategic for him to say that. And so they thought they were going to receive more. Because think about it. When you're first, you worked 45 minutes. That's a lot of value for that, just like the free fries. And then when you work last, that's not nearly as much value. That makes you feel worse. But you're feeling more entitled at the same time right? So you're starting to see what other people have gotten and what they've received. 
while you're over here getting just what you were promised, just what you agreed to, and that's it, nothing more. But they got also what they agreed to, but just a lot more value, right? Whereas I'm getting the same amount of value. And so that's what's happening. That's that anticipation. And so they're becoming a little bit more entitled, and they were just starting to compare themselves. And, y'all, it makes sense for them to be upset. That makes sense. If I worked a whole day, and y'all worked 45 minutes, and we made the same amount, I'd be pissed. That would make me so mad. That would not be tight. Because I put in more hours, and so I earn more. But... That's the issue. That's what's going on is um, just comparison here. The master is giving them what they need, right? They can, they can work for a denarius a day. That's the day's wage. People survive on that all the time, all the time. It's not easy, but they survive on that, and so it's doable. And so the master is just giving them what they need, right? He doesn't promise any more, just what they need just enough. And obviously that looks really different. So to kind of modernize that, let's make it relevant to y'all. Again, other than cookout. Let's move away from cookout. But the master is the metaphor for God, right? God gives you certain things, whether it's material things, come from a wealthy family, I don't know. But also more personal to y'all, back to my earlier example, Some people are more attractive than others. Some people are funnier. Some people are smarter. Some people are naturally more personal, naturally stronger, naturally more athletic, more courageous, more sensitive, anything like that. That is also gifts from God, right? It's the same thing going on here. It's just a little bit modernized now of... I think Justin pulls off the mustache really, really well. And when I look at my mustache compared to Justin's mustache, I got nothing, right? <laughs> like, this is dumb. <laughs> this thing is ugly compared to Justin's. And that's what's going on here, is that comparison game of literally anything. The cookout fries, the day's wage, that's what's happening here, is there's a little bit of entitlement of they committed to what they agreed to, and they worked for it and nothing changed in their agreement. The only thing that changed was other people's agreements, or other people's relative agreement. And so that's where it gets a little messy, and that's where comparison starts to become a little toxic. Just like when I went to Young Life, my comparison became a little bit toxic of I was judging my friends because I was comparing them to how they should be. These workers were comparing the master to how they think he should be from their own perspective. If they worked more, they should get more. And that should be how it works. But that's not what's happening. That's not what's going on. And so that's where it really starts to get really messy. And so then moving on. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour. You have made them equal to us who have bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, the master, 
friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So this is where he's kind of wrapping it into kind of one whole picture for us of you have the laborers, just like what I talked about. They were grumbling. They were upset because they didn't get what they thought they deserved. But then the master replies with something a little interesting. And he says, you didn't own any of it. All we did was complete the agreement that we agreed on. And that was it. And that was all that happened. So the only issue was with the laborer's comparison and their perspective, their limited perception of that's what they get, this is what I got. That's what they should have gotten. This is what I should have gotten. They didn't understand that the master owned everything and that they all made the same agreement. It's just all different timings. It's all relative. And so that's where the master kind of giving them what they need is really all it is. Because if you think about it from our perspective of God's the one that makes us attractive, he creates us. God's the one that makes us funny. God's the one that makes us entertaining. God's the one that makes people good at public speaking when some of us are nervous public speaking. It's all God. None of this is ours, right? All of it's just given to us. We don't have any of this. And so if we're looking at ourselves from the perspective of the laborers, if we're making it relative to us, then we don't really deserve any of it right? And so that's where the entitlement comes in, is the master knows what is right. So in the beginning, he said, I'm going to give you what's right. And like I said, he had somewhat of a moral compass, almost. He knew what was right. He knew what was going to be good ahead of time, while we knew nothing, right? So that puts him above us. And that's where it doesn't make sense is the master's moral compass doesn't make sense to us because of our limited perspective, because of our comparison and how it's all relative in our perspective. Of The master gives us everything we need. God gives us what we need. He promises no more, no less, right? And that's typically, that's scripture's view, on that, but our view is, hey, I'm gonna say that, I sort of believe that, but I want more, I deserve more. I've been in church my whole life. I go to church twice on Sundays. I'm in a small group, all that stuff. That stuff is great, that's so good. But we have a tendency in the modern church, especially growing up in it, where we start to see ourselves see ourselves as that inner circle and we start to get entitled and that's where we get judgmental that's where my young life friends were they grew up in church and I didn't and so they grew up with all that stuff and it wasn't enough for them they came to work in the first shift when the master called them 
And I came to work in the last shift when the master called me. And so they were kind of upset. And so that's where that comparison comes in. Um, And so we just don't get it because they agreed to it. And the master owned it all, just like he said. He owned everything. And so we were just kind of stewards of it. And when I say that, stewards is kind of like we don't own it. We're just kind of almost like borrowing it sort of thing. It was given to us. We didn't deserve it sort of thing. And so it's our job to kind of make use of it. And so it's kind of crazy because when we take a step back and look at that from that perspective of where the first shift workers most of the time, and we're unhappy, we're grumbling, we're the upset ones. And it's kind of like, do you want to be that way? Do you want to be that ungrateful? Do you want that to be happening? And it shows how upside down our perspective is. Of That's the way we see it, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so now, <laughs> now that we've established how much we suck as we're the first round workers, right? Then we can start to move forward. And from there, seeing who we are, we can take a step back and look at who the master is, right? Because once we understand that our perspective is limited and we understand that we're ungrateful and entitled and all of that is through comparison to others, then we start to see that we don't want that. Then we start to see that that's not good, right? And so then our next step is to just look at the master, to look at God, look at Jesus, and look at how unentitled they were and just how gracious they were of we didn't deserve anything. And he, the master, is operating out of the paradigm that he's less focused on how undeserving we are, but he's more focused on how overly generous he can be. Because when you see somebody come in and work for 45 minutes and they get a whole day's wage, they can go and provide for their family. That's sweet. We can celebrate that. When me in high school or college came to know Christ, my friends can celebrate that. And we can all go through all that stuff together. And it's not about kind of when you enter, but it's about looking at the Father. It's about looking at the Master. And that's what the whole Bible is about. And so if he's the metaphor of the master in this and the metaphor carried throughout the whole Bible, then we can keep looking at him and following him. And so a couple of things to leave you with that we can follow him through is he goes to the market, right? He's out there. He's out there in the turf looking for people and he's doing it consistently. He's not just posting on LinkedIn sort of thing, looking for jobs, looking for people to work. He's out there himself. And then he tells people what to do, and he promises a good reward. He tells us what to do. He says, make this agreement. Work for a day's wage, and that's all you need. That's all we can get. (laughs) And he knows what the day's wage is. He knows the right amount to give us, and that's where it's really cool. Because he claims that all of this stuff is his, all of it, and we're just stewards. And immediately before this passage, Peter asked Jesus, 
What's our reward for following you? What do we get? The master gives us everything we need. God gives us exactly what we need. And so in order to understand God's character and learn to follow him, we have to learn how to submit to that agreement, that covenant, that agreement that I said, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you say. And you're going to give me what you said you're going to give me. We need to learn how to submit to that. We need to learn how to abide in that. And then he finishes, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And that also doesn't make sense. But it's okay because, it's, again, it's a parable. It's not supposed to make sense. It's confusing because we're so limited in how we see things. We're so short-term. But the master is running the entire vineyard. He's running everything. And he's still inviting people in. And so we just get a little small piece of that. We get a day's wage. We get a day's work of that. And so God's the guy going to the marketplace, inviting people. And we're the people grumbling and unhappy with that. And I don't like that. (laughs) I don't like that. I don't like that we're those people. And it's just through that toxic comparison that we end up there. And I hope y'all are a little unsettled by how easy it is for us to jump to those comparisons and that entitlement. I hope y'all understand and are actually uncomfortable with how messed up that sounds that we're that first round people. Instead of celebrating people, we're just jealous and angry. And so I wanna leave you with that, that God's perspective is so much better. The master's perspective is so much better of he wants to be overly generous. He doesn't wanna give us just barely enough. The people that came to work, he was super generous with. And so we can learn to focus on that. So I'm gonna pray for us real quick and then we can go hang out. Hey, Father, thank you for inviting us in the vineyard and giving us the work and the amounts and everything you need and everything we need. But thanks for just including us into it. Um, But I pray that you show us what gratefulness looks like and what looking to your character looks like and getting out of the comparison game, but just focusing on you and realizing how distracting it is. Father, we love you a lot and we're grateful for you and for Jesus and everything that you've given us. In your name, amen.